Well, it's that time of the week again, and it's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 694 for August 7th, 2021, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Dr. Nikki Ackermans. Dr. Ackermans is a postdoctoral fellow of the Swiss National Science Foundation at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Her current work focuses on the anatomy and neuroscience of traumatic brain injury in head-butting animals. She is also one of the, or she is also the science correspondent for the Daily Tech News Show and hosted the Seniors in Tech series on DTNS, which included interviews with you know, Silla Castaway, Sandy Foster, and me. She's also the host of a Stories Your Grandmother, Granny Never Told, and uh, has had me on that show too. Well, with all that long introduction, welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for getting those all correct. It's it's quite a mouthful. I might have stolen from your bio. It's possible I stole some of <laughs> That's that. That's fine. So uh, I really want to get into the, the the tech and geekiness of the work that you do with uh, headbutting animals. I think that's looking at their brains and skulls and all this. I think this is really, really fascinating. But you're fascinating in and of yourself. You have a, a really, really interesting background. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where were you born? Where did all this start? Yeah, so a quick background. I was born in Florida and then when I was about 10, my parents moved to Europe, like to the south of France, um, because my dad is Dutch. So I've got half and half going on there. And then uh, I grew up there and did most of my studies in Europe and just moved back to the States about a year ago. So you actually, you lived in, let's see, you told me you live in Austria, Belgium, Switzerland. And it's funny, you said you moved to France because your father's Dutch. <laughs> That's yeah, an interesting so jump. he was kind of like me, like he was born in the Netherlands, but when he was a kid, they moved to France. So then all my family lives in France. And then you have to think of it's about like kind of like the states around here where, you know, Netherlands is like a half a day drive from France. So it's like a state away. It's not that bad. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And then so I did exchange programs with university to do Austria and Belgium. And then I did my PhD in Switzerland. I've actually taken the bullet train from Paris to uh, to the Netherlands. Yeah, it's really quick. It's like four hours, I think. Actually, I love the, the bullet train. Actually, no, it was, <laughs> that was like an hour or two, I think. It was super fast. Oh, actually, to the Netherlands? Maybe you're right. I haven't been on it in a while. You actually, no, you I wish- I'm lying. I'm lying. I went to Belgium and my friend Helma came in from the Netherlands to Belgium. That's why it was fast. Yeah, that's, that's it. I yeah, lied. I've never tiny. been there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I so, wish we had a bullet train here. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so you've lived all over the world. You did your PhD in Switzerland, but you live in New York City now. Yeah, so I actually, this is kind of a podcast background story, but I, since I was like 16, I had this like science idol who's Dr. Reidenberg, um, who I saw on the BBC on a show where she was dissecting a whale and like climbing inside the whale and saying like, look, I'm Jonah, I'm in the whale. And I saw that and I was like, I want to do that job. I mean, clearly that's every little girl's dream is to to crawl inside of a whale, right? (laughs) And so I kind of followed her career for a while because I just thought, you know, just keep keeping tabs on how to get to that career. And she was interviewed on a podcast called Ologies. And so, of course, I was like completely fixated on it, listening to it. And at the end of the interview, she said something like, yeah, in my lab, we're looking for people to study sheep um, maybe in the future. And I was like, wait, I study sheep for my PhD at the time. And so I literally just dropped her an email and was like, hey, do you need more sheep people? <laughs> and we ended up working it out on a project um, because she was interested in looking at the headbutting aspect and how you could 
sort of translate that to humans. And even though I didn't know anything about neuroscience, I was like, well, I know stuff about sheep, so we could totally make that work. And we ended up uh, working out a grant, and that's how I became a fellow of the Swiss National Science Foundation, and I got to pick whatever lab I wanted to. So I picked her lab, which is in Manhattan. Wow. So, hang on. So you're working in neuroscience, but, I mean, what's your PhD in? It's not in sheep, right? It's in yeah, my PhD is in evolutionary biology. Um, what, but what, my, is that? what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> it's the changes that different species make throughout time and just general biology in general, but mostly focused on plants and animals. I guess that is biology. I haven't answered that question since my undergrad. <laughs> so I had to like reach deep for that one. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's more complicated than you can explain to us. So yeah. how long have you been working? Uh, is, is it at Mount Sinai? Yeah, yeah. Um, at Mount Sinai. So I guess it's been about a year and a half now. I mean, I was very... It was a weird time because I got here like February of 2020. So I well, got hands-on awesome experience time in New York. for a month. <laughs> yeah. And then I was locked in my studio apartment for, for like five months. But I still like wrote and did some background research and stuff. So I kept busy. Yeah. So you don't have the kind of equipment at your house to do the job, right? I do not. No, I just have a laptop. <laughs> So uh, go back a little bit. You you really liked animals when you were a kid. Is that how you got into studying sheep? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm meaning to ask my parents why I was so obsessed with animals, but I can always remember that everything I did as a kid, it had to be related with animals. If it was a card game, it had to have little animals on it. If it was clothes, it had to have animals on it. Like I've always been obsessed for some reason. Huh. And I just assumed that I would be a veterinarian because that's the only animal job, at least when you're a kid, like you don't know. And um, we, when I lived in France, we had like a small farm with horses and chickens and stuff. And one of the chickens escaped into the horse paddock. And I don't know if a lot of people know, but horses are really territorial. So oh. they were trying to kill it. They're oh, trying to like geez. stomp it. And, oh. and they actually will eat chickens because um, it's like free protein, basically. But <laughs> so they, they crushed this chicken's leg. And my mom was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to like, show you how to be a veterinarian because my mom's an EMT at the time. So she, oh. she knew how to like stint a leg. And I was like, okay, I guess. And so we like tied a popsicle stick to it. And then I passed out. Oh, <laughs> so no. I was like, I, I guess I'm not going to be a veterinarian. Was <laughs> so, it um, empathy or blood or what do you think? I just have a very sensitive vasovagal reflex. I also faint when I get when I give blood and I can't give blood because all the nurses yell at me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, I do dissection for most of my job. But for some reason, when the animals are already dead, it doesn't bother me anymore. So oh, that's boy, that's fascinating. So that's I can't it's, really it's a psychological logic my thing, way right? out of that. Yeah, yeah. There's no real actual good explanation. <laughs> well, maybe you've got an uh, overproductive empathy engine in you. I do. I can't watch sad movies. <laughs> well, but yeah, so I had to like look for other jobs that were animals, and so I found like zoology. Um. And I kind of went from there and just decided, like, every step of the way, I was like, I don't want to do a PhD. That sounds like a lot of office work and research. I want to, like, go into the jungle and, and like, I don't know, study monkeys. And I'm so glad I didn't end up doing that because the people who go into the jungle and study monkeys, I mean, good for them. But, like, you know, they have to, like, camp 
in the jungle for six months and poop in a hole. And like, that's not my <laughs> favorite part of science. A little bit more say. of a Manhattan girl than a poop in a hole girl. Actually, yeah, I'm more of a countryside girl, but I would oh. like to have like a, a house with walls. <laughs> that's all. Walls, indoor plumbing. You've got, you've got big indoor requirements, right? Indoor plumbing is right? good, yeah. <laughs> so how did you end up getting involved in podcasting now with working with Tom and, and the crew at DTNS? Oh, that's another good story. So I started podcast like everyone in March of 2020, although I had have the idea for I had had the idea for about a year before and I wanted to like get everything organized in my head so it would make like a good start. So I didn't just start podcasting because it was cool even though you know it has existed for so long. But I started Stories Your Granny Never Told because I wanted to record my grandparents' stories. My my grandpa, who's like episode two, is like a sailor and has all of these tall tales of the, you know, the, the ocean and the great seas. So I wanted to record this. And um, that was just kind of my, my thing for a while. And then I signed up for ANTP, America's Next Top Podcaster. Um, I, I which heard is, of that. Oh, so it's uh, Brian Ibbett is the host, who's also the co-host on... Um, the morning stream with Scott right, Johnson. Right. And it's a podcasting reality game show, but oh, also funny. kind of like a podcasting, uh, what do you call that? When you like learn like a training about it. sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. So they're a not training us in boot camp. Exactly. So the people who listen basically get all the info and we're competing against each other and also honing our podcasting skills. And it was really intense. Oh. It was like 13 weeks every day. Whoa! It was insane. Oh my god! And um, I signed up. I I thought I would never get in because my podcast was barely a year old, and like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and it ended up being so much fun. Not only because I got to meet Scott and Brian, whose show I've been listening to for years, but also all the contestants. We're like all friends now. Um, mm -hmm. spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened to this year's season. I came in second. And Will came in first place and we're now, now like great friends and we both have podcasting jobs um, wow. or like side jobs. And the reason I got in touch with DTNS and Tom is because one of the prizes for one of the week competitions was um, an internship at DTNS. Oh, and so that was really cool. But I was also like, oh, I have a full time job and like I don't know that much about tech, so I don't know how I'm going to like do this internship. And I ended up talking with Tom and he was like, do you want to just do science stuff? And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad to do that. And I guess they just liked my work so much. I'm, I'm doing the Sunday science supplement every week. And sometimes I do little mini series uh, that they decided to take me on as the permanent scientific correspondent. So, yeah. That's super fun. I, I do have to say that um, getting involved with Scott Johnson and people in his orbit, he is somehow cultivated the nicest people on the planet. They're so, it's the best. They're just kind. The and, tadpole. And I love them. Yeah, the tadpoles. Yeah. Uh, I, we went to um, Nerdtacular right after we retired. Mm -hmm. The first thing we did was we went to Nerdtacular and it, it was hosted by Scott. And we didn't have anything in common with anybody there. I thought it was going to be yeah. more tech related, but it's really more like gaming and comic books mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. 
And we felt 100% accepted the entire yeah. time. Every person, I, I like to describe the, the, the people we met as everybody who was picked last for kickball in school. Oh. <laughs> and so they're all super kind and friendly and they know what it's like to be rejected. And so they're all welcoming, Kinda, yeah. you know, we went, we went to dinner one night and they didn't have a table for two, but they said they had a table for four. And we turned around to the people behind us and saw they had, had nerdtacular badges on and said, would you want to join us? They're like, okay. And that would just, yeah, man. in what world could you do that? And the two, other two people wouldn't just go, ew, no. You know? I can't wait for, I hope they're planning a next Nertacular or some kind of mini event because I, I really want to go out and meet all these people, especially also the people from ANTP. There are, a lot of them are also sort of Nertacular-esque. Um, I want to like meet them in person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, that sounds like you've had a great experience with that. I love the the idea of your, uh, your stories your granny never told because there are so many great stories and if we lose them, we're we're missing something uh yeah. definitely i think i did um i ran the diversity council at work and we had a speaker planned who unfortunately he was he was one of the um uh tuskegee airmen and unfortunately oh. he took some medication and fell asleep and didn't show up oh no well so i'm scrambling cuz i've got uh, several hundred people coming to hear this guy speak. And there was this old guy, he was, he was an admiral in the Navy. And I don't even understand why he was associated with our company, but he was always at the Veterans Day events. And I knew he was a storyteller. And I said, hey, do you think you could come up and, I don't know, just talk for a little bit? And he's like, yeah, I got you, Allison. I got your back. I'll get up there and talk. <laughs> he got up there and the stories he's told were amazing. He was holding one of the ropes that held the Hindenburg when it blew up. Oh my God! He went. He he went into the Navy when he was fifteen to become a uh, to fight pirates. I mean, the guy's stories were amazing. And three weeks later, he passed away. Oh man! So had we not just captured that, you know, just by that happenstance that the other guy never showed up, it was it was really amazing. So I love the 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 idea of the show. This is this is great, and I think you're doing a really bang up job on it. Well, I have great guests like you, so you know. I think Sandy's I, interview was much better, but I still Sandy was appreciate really it. fun too. But I, I actually find that um, that's my favorite part about doing this show is that you don't, as as much as we all don't want to think about it, if you see a little old granny on the street, you just think nothing like, oh, this cute little granny, so innocent. And if you actually ask them the stories, even the most, you know, unremarkable grandma or person or grandpa will have a whole lifetime of stories to tell you and stuff will come out where you're like, Oh my God. And especially if it's from a completely different time than we're in now. I, I mean, it's funny. We laugh about, Oh, there wasn't any internet or the phones were different, but like it, it, it's really interesting to hear about how life was different and how people had to do a lot more work to like meet someone. Like you couldn't <laughs> just text them and say, be there at five. Like <laughs> you had to really trust that they're going to show up, especially if you were like flying across the ocean or, yeah, a lot of insane stories come out where I'm just like, I was not ready for that. And that's amazing. And I'm glad it's recorded. <laughs> well, that's what I like about the way you run your show, too, is that you you just sort of let people run. And yeah. it, it's it's not rambling, though. I mean, it, it, it still ends up with a focus, but you don't know where it's going to go. So you can't drive. Yeah. And it's actually nice for me to just sit and listen uh, and like take a break uh, and, and not have to be the one orating and giving lectures, <laughs> I suppose. Well, well, let me have you uh, orate and give lectures now. So, well, um, I like it here because this is a very relaxed environment. I mean, like on the work end. 
Oh, right, right, right. So um, let's get into your work. You study yeah. headbutting in bighorn sheep. Mm-hmm. Why? All headbutters. I don't. Oh, all headbutters. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Why? Yeah, why? So the idea of uh, Dr. Reidenberg's Reidenberg's lab is to find things about extreme animals and try and use that to our advantage to solve medical problems in humans. Whether that be, when I say extreme animals, it could be whales that hold their breath for hours, and maybe that's an interesting thing to investigate. In this case, the animals that headbutt the hardest and the most are bighorn sheep and musk oxen, which I study as well, but same kind of closely related cousins. And so the idea, if you think about things like the NFL, concussions are a huge problem in in, uh, sports and also in the military. Not only concussions, but repetitive mild concussions that can lead to overall lifelong problems like um, dementia or Alzheimer's disease, for example, or PTSD even. And so we don't really have a good solution for, first of all, picking them up because most of the time you can only diagnose this postmortem. Um and also just preventing them because everything we've studied so far, most of it has been on mice. And mice are really small. They have smooth brains. It's hard to translate stuff you find in mice to humans. So the idea was to find a model that was really extreme and either figure out if they get headbutts at all. Because it is in the common psyche you that like... if they get concussions at all? Uh, sorry. If they get concussions at all while they're headbutting. Thank you. Because um, it is in the common psyche that like, bighorn sheep headbutt and they're fine and they're amazing. And... There is not a single piece of literature, believe me, I've checked all of it, that has investigated if they do get oh, concussions. No so they could be all wandering brains. around with dementia and PTSD yeah. and everything and we don't know? Yeah, I was like, it's 2021 and no one's looked at this. So that became my project to first of all figure out what's happening with them and to see if they don't get any, why not? And if we can adapt that to humans. And if they do, why aren't they dying from these huge impacts that are basically the equivalent of running headfirst into a wall at 60 miles per hour. So, what are you finding out yeah. so far? Now I, I gotta know. I mean, yeah, do so they, do I, they I'm they gonna have be a little cagey about it because, like, I can't give you the full stats, but I'll give okay. you the, the overall because it's kind of unpublished. I have like one poster out, but the publication is gonna be in the next coming months. So, this is a little bit exclusive for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, I've been focusing on musk oxen, which are these big, hairy cows that live in the Arctic and have these like helmet horns that are curve up into like a fish hook shape. I don't oh, know if yeah, people yeah, yeah. visualize this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, only because I just had those brains on hand <laughs> as you do. My, one of my other, look at this drawer. Oh, look <laughs> like a fridge full of brains that he's been collecting over the years through collaborations with like zoos and things. And those were the first ones that were there when I got there. And so when I started, I started making calls to like fish and wildlife to get bighorn brains and they came later. So I haven't completely like investigated them yet but they're cousins so let's pretend they're the same in the musk oxen what we did two things so we got the brains um and on one hand we put them through an mri scan same as you would do for people but generally and on an mri mri is magnetic resonance imaging so it's a big magnet that spins around your body and you can take a good look at the soft tissue in 3d and if it was a really, really, really severe case of traumatic brain injury over time in humans, you might see reduction of some of the brain regions through shrinkage because some of the neurons die and then this region like shrinks away. But that would it, only it be physically like, gets smaller. Yeah, you huh. lose cells. But if by the time you see that, 
you're also going to see behavioral changes like dementia. So basically, you never see that. Um, and so in I didn't a preventative to see condition. It. Yeah, like it's already too late at that point. And I didn't see it in muskoxen, and I'm not surprised. Like that was just sort of like a check in. And then the next step was to cut it open and look at it under the microscope uh, so that we could see if the neurons were like intact or not. Basically, when you get a brain injury, your neurons will rip and you can and they kind of secrete proteins once they're destroyed. And you can pick up these proteins by staining them different colors. And you can oh, look wow. at that under the microscope if I wow. very simply broken down. Um, so if you see these stain, so you stain, you made a dye for it's brown. Uh, it's called tau proteins. If anyone's a neuroscientist and is like, say the name, it's tau. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they stain brown. And when you look under the, the microscope, you can see if a neuron is stained brown or if there's like little brown clumps. That means that there's been either the neuron just died on its own. But if there's a lot of them, then it's probably there was brain trauma happening. Okay. So that's what you've been, that's what you've been looking at so far. Yeah, that's what I've been looking at. And I made it sound really easy, but it took me mm -hmm. about a year just to f get the stain to work. Oh. Because guess what? Nobody looks at muskoxen in the lab other than me. So there's no protocol that's already been established to figure that out. Like we have it for mice and we have it for humans, but I had to do about a year of trial and error to see what would work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because, <laughs> yeah. because looking for that protein, you're saying? Yeah, because... um. The antibodies that attach to that protein, they're raised in different species. So you can get horse antibodies and you can get mice antibodies and human antibodies. And sometimes they clash and sometimes it doesn't connect good and it doesn't stain. Wow. Um, so it was a lot of trial and error. And the day that it worked after, honestly, because each protocol takes about a week. Oh, so geez. just me doing something for a week, watching it fail, and then doing that for like a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> And the first time it worked, I looked into the microscope and I saw this like brown neuron and I was like, oh my God, it worked. <laughs> it was so exciting. Not only did I get it to work, but it was the first time that anyone had ever looked at a muskox brain and looked to see if it had brain trauma. And there was one dead neuron. So that was like, <laughs> oh my God. Just one though, huh? Just one. But I mean, after I, I've been now looking more into the different layers and stuff, and it's quite extensive, actually. It's oh, um. Wow. I would say if it's comparable, I don't know if it's comparable, but to the extent of an early chronic, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is what, what you see, for example, in football players. So it looks wow. like you would see in a human on an early how do, stage. How do you tell if a musk, musk oxen is going bananas? To use a I wish word. I knew because we <laughs> like don't really have... Like are there really behavioral have, models of like yeah, happy, normal ones? we don't have ones. behavioral models. We barely have behavioral models for sheep in the lab or for pigs, even though those are really frequent lab animals. Mm -hmm. We have good behavioral models for mice, but like we don't even know what the baseline behavior is of a musk ox let al or even a cow, honestly, because hmm. no one wrote one because we don't need it really for stuff. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, there's so little research on muskoxen because they're up in the Arctic circle. They're hard to get to. And no one really wants to go do that. Honestly, that's why <laughs> they're not like, you know, cheap where you could stick them in your backyard. So if someone wants to do a PhD and establish a behavior scale for muskoxen, 
email you'll me. Use the, you'll use the research, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you're doing this research, you're doing. You, you said you're uh, dissecting the brains themselves. Uh, you know, looking for the, uh, the the broken neurons. You're doing MRI scans, which allow you to to look at the soft tissue. Um, yeah. But you're also doing CT scans of the of the skulls. Correct. Why so, why are you doing that? That was a part of my quarantine project. Um, usually, you can go to the museum and ask if you're a scientist to see the skulls and do measurements and things like that that you want to see. In my case, I wanted to see if the brain case in these headbutting animals was kind of different um, than other animals. If you can imagine a human brain case, I think everyone can. It's smooth on the inside and it's kind of sloshy. Um, the brain kind of jiggles around in your head like jello when, and that's how you get a concussion is it'll hit the front and then bounce back and hit the back. That's called coup counter coup in animals with different skull shapes like sheep and musk oxen. They have sort of a sort of more oval shaped brain. That's really small about the size of my palm, even oh. though their heads are like twice as big as my head. Oh Wow. Yeah. They don't need a lot of brain function. <laughs> they eat and they run away. And they, like, and they run at each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, and instead of being sort of floating in liquid like ours is, I mean, it's not that much, but it's a lot for the animal kingdom. There's this sort of vacuum packed in the bone. Oh. So you'll even have sort of the bone going into the folds of the brain and like holding it in place. So I wanted mm. to see if that was contributing to um, – helping them not shake their brain around and get concussions. So I wanted to look at the skull. The problem is the brain case is kind of hard to see mm -hmm. <laughs> if you don't like saw the skull in half and hence the CT scan. So CT scan is basically like a big 3D x-ray machine. And you can put a head or a skull in there and um, it'll make an x-ray all around you and you can pick up different densities. So bone is a certain density I don't know, guts are a certain density, teeth are, are very dense. And if you sort of highlight this one, you pick like, let's say bone density is one, a value of one. You just select that in the program and you can make a whole 3D reconstruction of everything where the value is one. And so it makes a big 3D shape of the skeleton because not yeah. a lot of other things are the same density of bone in your body. Okay. So and is this that slices way, or it's, it's a 3D yeah. model as it is? So it's slices and then they're, composed into a 3D model and you can also okay. re-slice them on a different plane, for example, if you want to go horizontal or vertical oh, or wow. sideways. After, after, it's, after it's scanned, yeah. do you do that? Okay. After it's scanned, you can do that. And um, so if I wanted to see the brain case, I can just pick a slice right through the middle on like a sort of sagittal plane. And I can I have my 3D model now of the skull without even having to damage a real skull. Uh, and look at it that way. And that was my quarantine project because I asked a bunch of colleagues for CT scans that they had made for other projects so I can analyze them on my laptop <laughs> and like do some anatomical work without having to go to the museum because it was shut for about a year. So, oh, wow. So yeah. um, back to the Oh, oh, I know. There was a question I wanted to ask. So I'm a mechanical engineer, not a neuroscientist, not an animal biologist or evolutionary biologist. <laughs> it one of the ways you can protect things from being damaged is by having them in a dampening material. So yeah. like you can picture you've got an doing the egg drop contest in school, right? You, you've uh, got an egg. If you put it inside something spongy, 
then it mm-hmm. won't get as damaged as if it's just rattling around in there or even if it's held tightly. So I would yeah. think that, you know, having no background in the topic whatsoever, that having our brain sloshing around in liquid would would protect it most of the time. Just not yes. when headbutting. <laughs> like yeah. at the extremes, so, you know, if it can slosh okay. too far. We survive and we have, there's not nothing. So it's cerebrospinal spinal fluid is the liquid that it's in. And it's not like sloshing around really, but it's protecting it. And there's also viscous? different. Yeah, a little bit like uh, olive oil. Okay. Yeah. Same color too. Um, we also have Ew. some, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I wanted it to be it's clear. It's very like, um, yeah, it's very viscous. Like I feel like it's a good lubricant. <laughs> For, for, I don't know, like, for brains. Anyway, for brains. You also have meninges surrounding the brain. And this is like a sort of a skin layer kind of. Okay. That's, so you have the, the jello of the brain. Then you have the dura mater, which is the first meninge surrounding the brain. Then you have the pia mater. And then another one that's on the skull. Okay. And the one that's on the skull and the one that's on the brain are connected sort of at the bottom where all the wires go out, like where the spinal cord comes out, <laughs> okay. but not really anywhere else. But they are, they're not very thick, but they're, it's not like the brain tissue is directly touching the skull. There's a few other layers in between. So it's not super spongy, but it's something. And yeah, but, second, I'm, but I'm saying the liquid, the liquid is acting as this dampener that I'm t- was what I was saying. It, it helps, but it's still quite sloshy. There's okay. this favorite gif that I like to use that you just Google like brain concussion gif and it's it's exaggerated because it's a model, but it's someone just like hits a, a skull that has a jello brain in it and it just blah, 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 it like wobbles. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens because we kind of had this trade when we evolved to stand up and have big brains. It's like, well, our head's not going to be very well protected, but we can stand up and we can like build helmets. So we'll be okay. That's not exactly how it worked, but you get my Yeah, I'm sure the helmets were quite in the, in the evolutionary process (laughs) there. But I mean, I would think that it, there'd be a reason that it evolved to be sloshy. Um, it's not that it evolved to be sloshy is that we needed as much room as possible to fit our big brains in our heads. So the skull is rather thin and basically we're limited by the size of a female pelvis so that, a baby can be born. Okay. Anything bigger than that, you can't get out. But oh, so, but so you want the ma- the most amount of area for the brain. That means you make the skull thinner. Yeah, skull thinner, less. I don't know how to explain. Like, it's mostly the smoothness is so you have the most surface area of brain possible, and that's okay. why it's sloshy. Right. Whereas the others, they're kind of clamped in because there's a bit more bone because they don't need that much brain space. Okay. 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 Oh, that's fascinating. But the second aspect to your question, which is actually really interesting because there are a lot of biomechanical people and engineers studying bighorn sheep because it's this kind of automatic thing like bighorn sheep are really strong. We should take their skull and horn material and like make stuff out of it. That's also really strong. That's like a logical jump a lot of people make. And a lot of people look at the skull of a bighorn sheep and they see they have these giant frontal sinuses. So we have sinuses like holes in our bones on the front of our forehead for like the nose and airways and stuff like that. Designed and to have sinus sheep. headaches. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that is what I what I find it's for. <laughs> That's what they're for. And infections. That's exactly what they're designed for. <laughs> but the big orange sheep have a huge, huge sinus, like, like I don't huh. know, the size of a fist. Wow. And so biomechanic people see this, they say, that's a bumper. That's a shock absorber because it's got holes. It looks spongy, right? Okay. But 
a lot of studies have been done on this, and it turns out the sort of strength of this bone is similar to the strength of a tibia bone. It's just bone, and it's not there as a shock absorber. It's actually there as a scaffolding to build up the huge horns that they have really, really fast. And in like sort of uh, models, computer models, where they took out this part and like sort of simulated the force of these animals headbutting, it didn't make a difference whether it was there or not. Okay. So like the crumpling forces of the brain. So that was a good like... Good guess. (laughs) Guess, but unfortunately evolution decided no. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. That's that's really interesting. So so you've worked with the these brains. You just call up Fish and Wildlife and say, "Yo, you got any of these kind of brains?" But yeah. you tweeted something interesting recently that that it's kind of <laughs> scary to talk about, but you tweeted that you really appreciate the people who donate their bodies to science because you were working on a human brain and that that you felt I lo- I love the tweet because it was so respectful. That like, thank you for giving me this so that I can help others, so that I can help with this research to see where we can go. And that was, it's creepy and gross and amazing. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. So actually, funnily enough, I've been doing anatomy for like nine or 10 years now, and I've only ever worked on animals and never done human anatomy. But I work at a human hospital now. I always have to say human hospital because I used to work at an animal (laughs) hospital. I'm like, yeah, you're a human doctor, right? Okay. (laughs) And so I'm going to TA, I'm going to teach human anatomy, which is the same as animal anatomy, but I still, it would be good if I knew what human anatomy looked like under the skin. So I had to jump the hurdle and Dr. Reidenberg said, okay, you're going to help me TA. You got to help me do a prosection, which is we prepare the human dissections for the students so that they can see this is the larynx and we have it kind of opened up for them already. Because we work at a hospital, people donate their bodies to science and that's how medical students learn anatomy on human bodies. So um, I was honestly terrified, even though animal dissections, I could do it in my sleep uh, Mm. and like I'll eat pasta right after, like no big deal. (laughs) But for some reason, I was, you know, it's a human body. I've, I had never seen a dead body before then. And I was really worried that I was going to faint because, again, I'm, I faint a right, lot. Right. <laughs> or that I was going to be really uncomfortable and not be able to do it. And um, it was such a weird range of emotions. I've been trying to think how to describe it, actually, because it was two days ago. And so at first, I mean, I've seen the the body bags because I work in that area. I just didn't want to open them. And we, we cover <laughs> the face and everything. And um, at first it was really weird. Like, I'm not supposed to be here because it's dead mm. and that's bad. But my boss is like, okay, so she, she does this all day long. So she just jumped in and she's like, okay, so here's the inguinal nerve and here's the vein that we're going to dissect out. And this is the leg and blah, blah, blah. And then she showed me like, oh, this person had like a um, – a hip replacement. So here's the screw and you can see it. And my brain kind of switched into anatomy mode. So I was like, oh yeah, here's the like iliac crest of the, the, uh, pelvis. And, and, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, the feeling what reminded me of is like, I haven't done something this new and scary since I was a kid. And I don't know how to describe that of like that feeling when you're a kid and like maybe the first day of school or something where you have no idea what's going to happen. And you're also terrified I kind of felt like that, but it was so interesting because, well, you know kind of what's inside a human, like you know where the lungs and the hearts are, and I'm used to seeing them in a sheep, and I'm like, oh, this is such a weird shape, like humans are such big animals, and (laughs) the the lungs are really big, and I kind of went into curiosity mode, and I, yeah, I guess I just kept thinking it's 
so cool that someone donated their body. I mean, I'm definitely going to donate my body to science, but it's still a sensitive thing. Like the bodies are naked. I know that's sound weird, but it would be weirder if there were clothes on them, I think. Um, <laughs> right. When you said so, naked, I thought that's weird. And then you said clothes and I went, nope, yeah. you're right. That's weirder. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> and, and so I'm sure everyone's like, oh, but I don't want to be naked. But like, well, you're dead. So I don't know. It depends on your religion, I guess. And it's so cool that they allow all these students to learn from them. A lot of the, again, you'll have to cut out if this gets too weird for people listening to it. I don't know other people's sensitivities with dissection stuff because I'm completely desensitized now. But for example, I did a laminectomy to prepare for the students, which is cutting off. If you look at a back, uh, the vertebra are exposed and I cut off so out of the tops of all the vertebra so you could see the spinal cord all the way down. Oh, cool. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like the, the anatomy of the vertebral column, it's very repetitive and, um, almost like know, a fractal just, pattern as it repeats yeah, down and it gets it smaller. Looks so cool. And this is, they're preserved in, in embalming fluid. So this piece that I prepared, we can use for years and years and years because oh, neat. it's, it's preserved. Um, it's not going to go bad. And so this person's donation is going to serve like maybe 500 medical students. Wow. And I just, it oh, was a really cool. what interesting What does the spinal cord look like? Well, do you have in your mind the, 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 the spine? this column? Yeah. The spinal cord looks like a... Does it look like a rope? Does it have, uh, does it it have like ridges a, in it? Does a, it look uh, like an intestine? It's smooth. Okay. Yeah, it's about like uh, the thickness of an index finger. It's okay. sort of pinkish brown, like most things on the inside of the body. And it kind of looks like a wet uh, balloon. Like, uh, okay. yeah, actually exactly like so a wet pretty, balloon, pretty like smooth. one of those long balloons. Oh, okay. Right, an right, empty right. one. It looks exactly like so that. So no ridges or anything on it? It's smooth. No. Huh. Completely smooth, yeah. I have never well, that's thought like the to outer casing. that question. Oh, okay. The outer casing and the inside, um, <sighs> uh, it kind of looks like um, Play-Doh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but in little ropes of Play-Doh, like small little strings of Play-Doh. Yeah. Well, I don't care if anybody else is grossed out. I'm not grossed out. I think this is fascinating. It is. And it's really, yeah, it's really beautiful. And, and we also are doing another study that's to um, sort of document some of the parts of female anatomy in relation to ovarian cancer and radiation, basically because all of the radiation protocols are based on men in medicine right now, because of course, no one cares about women's medicine. And so the idea was like, well, shouldn't we like make an atlas of the female anatomy so that we don't like accidentally irradiate everything that's important? <laughs> I, I, for some reason, no one had done that until now. And so we were working on that. And I just felt really honored to like, we can do really important work with, with these uh, cadaver donations. And I don't know, it was really cool. So two things on that. Um, one thing to make you feel a little bit better about the fact that quote unquote, nobody cares about female medicine. There was a, an article on 60 Minutes a couple of years ago uh, that, that I will never forget. It was a bunch of female researchers all talking about the fact that they never studied women. That, yeah. that oh, the yeah. belief was that women are, are, are just like men, but with annoying emotions and hormones. So if we study and men, it's the same as studying women. We just don't have to deal with the menstrual cycle and childbirth you and all that. You wouldn't even imagine. All, a lot, it's changing now, but a lot of anatomical books, Grant's Anatomy, etc. It's a man, a white man. You don't see a lot of black bodies in medical education. 
And and then the part that's about women is a, a disembodied uh, breasts and disembodied <laughs> pelvis. And like, oh, uh, yeah, this is bonus women stuff. But everything, the basis is a white man. Wow. And it's so frustrating. And well, for you know, us we just came from the rib and, and everything, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, right. We're all and, and it's so frustrating because it leads to things. Actually, if I can recommend a book called Invisible Women, it's about how this impacts the entire society. We were talking about on on when you were on my show, how iPhones are like huge because they're based on the median male hand size and mm-hmm. about a lot. A lot of work incidents are based on women getting injured because the security harnesses aren't made for women. They're made for average male size. The security boots are made for average male size. And a lot of things like that, especially in oh, medicine, for the are really problematic. Same, same problems. Same problem. And uh, astronauts, it actually they had trouble with goes that. down to animals. A lot of people do who study mice only study male mice because hormones are annoying and they get in the way. And that's how you develop medicine that doesn't work on women with periods because hormones are annoying and we didn't want to study that. Like, I know I'm generalizing, but it's a huge problem. Well, but and, I, I want to go back to I want to bring this a little bit more optimistically yeah, about it because let's, let's optimize. The, well, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that these women said was the, uh, the, the what was great was it was all female doctors talking, you know, researchers, mm-hmm. and they said it never occurred to us, to us, that this was yeah. a huge mistake. And one of the big things they talked about was um, uh, the medicine Am- Ambien. It's a, um, it helps you sleep. sleep. And uh, they discovered when they finally studied it in women that women need about half the dosage of men. So not mm-hmm. just based on weight, but women. Just because you're a woman, you should take half the size. And mm-hmm. and they, they were floored because that meant everything they had done was wrong about that medicine. And the interviewer yeah. on 60 Minutes said, so how many medicines do we have to go back and research? And they looked right in the camera and said, all of, all them. of them. Yeah. And but it wasn't I, I really liked it because it wasn't oh those stupid men didn't study women and they didn't understand. These were women doctors going, We didn't think of it. And so Yeah, because it's it's kind not of a blame societal. game. It's like what kind of idiots are we that we didn't think of this? Yeah. It seems obvious and, uh, now, but I'm I'm glad that, that people are working on this and that you are me able too. to do it, this too. I'm excited. And and imagine what it's like for queer and non-binary people. If we haven't even studied women who are about 50% of the population, (laughs) imagine then when your hormones are even more different and your body's even more different. That's uh, another step that we have to make in the right direction. Right. Like you say, in race too, which hadn't occurred to me because I'm white. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Well, back on on the uh, optimism and talking about uh, people donating their bodies, the mm-hmm. uh, Nocella Castaways that have been around the show for a long time would have met my mother. Um, I, we called her the Pod Mom, and mm-hmm. uh, she was absolutely spectacular. And she's she had been on the show and everything. Her family, my family, is riddled with Alzheimer's. I mean, they're mm-hmm. dropping like flies as we speak. My cousins, my aunts, my uncles, uh, everybody's getting it, but my mother didn't. So mm-hmm. my brother and my mother went to Scripps Institute and and offered to be studied. And uh, they they did all kinds of questionnaires and stuff with my mom and everything as she approached her around 90, 92, somewhere around there. And um, they asked her if she would donate her brain because they wanted to find out why she didn't have it. And she did. Mm-hmm. And That's great. She, I remember sitting across the table with her having pizza and I bought her a glass of wine. We're having a good old time. And she says, by the way, don't forget that when I die, you got to give my brain to Scripps Institute. <laughs> and I said, so exactly how does that phone call go? Yo, yeah. Scripps. My mom's dead. Where do you want her head sent? You know, I don't know how that even happened. Luckily, my brother had the paperwork and he did the whole thing and got it done. 
Yeah, it's that's kind of how the phone call goes. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> but uh, that's From great. From a woman I who mean, calls up people and asks for sheep's brains. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's hopefully she'll help us understand Alzheimer's better. That's another one where it's really hard to study, and we don't have a lot of answers right now. So anything that comes out is is good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would like that one to be solved. Just yeah. when you're making a list of things, uh, I would like that. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do do animals get Alzheimer's? Uh, you know I want to say yes. Uh, for example, apes, uh, we're pretty sure get Alzheimer's. Hmm. Um, we, so people don't like to study animals cause like they're not humans. <laughs> Human doctors are like, ew, gross. I, <laughs> I would go so far as like, I'm pretty sure muskoxen get something Alzheimer-y or dementia-y only because I had a conversation with, uh, the muskox farm, I gave a talk called Meet the Oxperts last week. <laughs> and I talked to them about their muskoxen because they're in captivity. So they live way longer than they would in the wild. Hmm. And they have one male who's super old, who's 24. But for muskoxen, that's like three times his normal lifespan. And apparently he just stands in the field and like stares off in the distance. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if that one's got dementia or something. And hmm. I hope they send me his brain. But yeah, um, yeah. I'm Did trying you make to make a plea think, for that. I did. And they said, like, we'll be sad, but we'll think of you. And I was like, good. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I think mice and rats, I, I haven't looked at the literature, but I think there's traces of, of something going on. And I believe we may have found some dementia-related proteins in dolphins as well. I don't hmm. have the full list in my head. But, yeah, animals, if they live long enough, which is not usually the case in nature, might get Alzheimer's, yeah. I see. Maybe our problem is we're just living too long. We've cured everything else, so eventually you get to something worse. Kind of. Yeah, if we yeah. Cure, cure Alzheimer's, I don't know what's on the other side of that fence. <laughs> Eventual <scared>. full cell degradation. <laughs> Boy, it's you're, okay. you're fun at parties, aren't you? <laughs> no, but like, I think it's fine. Like, we shouldn't live forever. I always think I would never want to be a vampire because I get really bored. <laughs> <laughs> I like these uh, like vampire novels and they're always like, yeah, I was there in the Middle Ages and I was like, ah, that would, it'd be too much time of like nothing to do and all your friends would pass away so you'd kind of be like hanging, hanging out with all the other boring vampires and like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not for me. Well, let's see. On DTNS, you referred to two other technologies I wanted to ask about before we yeah. go. You talked about 3D micros- microscopy yeah, and that you use 3D printing. What, what are those two things? How do you use them? Okay, so 3D microscopy is kind of the way that a CT scanner works in the sense that you have a, a, a piece of tissue on a microscope slab under a microscope, and it's about 50 micrometers thick. And with your microscope, with some of the more modern ones like confocal microscopes, you can take a picture at the top, and then you can kind of zoom in. You like focus your microscope a little bit on a lower layer and take a picture oh. there, and more and more and more until you get to the bottom. So you can and see so through you, it? Yeah, because it's, it's so thin that it's see-through. Okay. Uh, and that's how we are able to look at stuff under the microscope. And you can stack all these images and make like a little 3D block in your, in your software. And so if you want to see like one cell, you can see the whole thickness of the cell throughout your little block. It's, it's limited in size, but if you're looking at neurons, it's actually really cool because you can see like where the the axon, the tail of this neuron is going to. And some people do it on like a full mice, mouse brain. Um, wow. There's protocols to like make the mouse brain see through and, and image it all the way through. So that's that cool. answers that. Yeah. I've never heard of that. And then what do you 3, 3D print? 
Um, so this is more of like something that a lot of people do in anatomy and I've only done once just because I didn't need oh. it. But you can take CT scan files or MRI scan files and uh, turn them into, I don't remember the file format for 3D print, STL, I think. Might be. Yeah. That's um, and you can 3D print them like relatively easily. And for example, my hospital has a 3D printing lab where they're, they'll print out uh, a part in your body where there's a tumor because you can see that in a CT scan to see how big it is and how they fix it. You, they'll 3D print like prosthetics, um, like a nose prosthetic. And if they have their CT scan of your face, they can fit it perfectly to your face. Um, uh. For example, I've seen a lot of people in paleontology 3D print their skeletons to bring them to conferences to show us like what they found. <laughs> That's oh, always neat. really fun. And you can also segment them into different parts. You can like open it. You get like a plastic dinosaur skull and like open it up and like take off the jaw and be like, this is this tooth. And so it's really good for education as well. Very, very cool. Well, you know what I love about this conversation is I feel sort of like when you're doing your stories, your granny never told I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. And it went a bunch of really, really, I knew it would be fun because we've talked before and could tell we would be instant friends, but I didn't realize we would get into such cool stuff. This was, this was really enjoyable. I always have fun talking about it too. And you're a great interviewer, so it's easy. Oh, well, I'll take full credit then. Um, <laughs> so if people want to follow what you do, uh, contact you, anything, do you have any ways they can do that? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Twitter. I'm at Ackerman's Nicole for all my like science stuff. And then I'm over at Granny Stories for the Stories Your Granny Never Told podcast. And for that, it's Stories Your Granny Never Told on all handles. And, and you can Google it and it'll be right there. And I welcome people to send me pictures of bones that they find in the forest or in their backyard. And I'll try and identify them for them. That's like my favorite pastime. Really? So yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. it usually chicken? Um, it's usually fish. Fish are always the ones that people are like, this is an alien. And it's like, no, that's a fish head. Um, yeah. Or bird pelvises look really like skulls, but they're, they're all fused together. And the hip sockets look like eye sockets. People always confuse those. <laughs> We've got to end it right there. That is perfect. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much, Nikki. This was fantastic. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCastaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSillaCastaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.